Good morning. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Nash Jones. New Mexico is consistently ranked as one of the most deadly states in the nation to be a pedestrian. And in a new study released this summer, it took the number one spot with Albuquerque coming in second for the number of walkers killed per capita on the city's roadways. As a New Mexican myself, I know all too well the fatigue of being last or next to last on another negative list. But today on Let's Talk New Mexico, we're going to take a look at why it's so dangerous to commute by foot and by bike in our state and the work that's being done to change that. We'll look closer at a story I've been following for some time, the dangerous lead and coal avenues in Albuquerque, one-way streets that run just south of Central, if you're unfamiliar with it. A report from a recent safety study on the corridor has just been released yesterday, and we're going to hear about what the independent auditors found and what they're recommending the city to do to fix this years-long issue along with other city initiatives. Uh, Albuquerque is pretty unique, of course, so we're also going to take a look at the issue on a statewide level and discuss what the state's Department of Transportation is seeing out there and, and what it's doing to reduce the number of pedestrians killed each year. We are also going to spend some time this morning discussing overall what it looks like to build roads that are usable and safe for all, not just those in a car or truck. So can a road be designed for both speed and safety? That's what we're going to talk about today, and we want to hear from you. Do you feel safe commuting on foot or by bike in New Mexico? Is there something about your neighborhood's design that either makes it feel safer or less safe to walk around? And what would help you feel confident moving around your New Mexico community without a car? Email your comments and questions to letstalk at KUNM.org. You can also tweet us with hashtag letstalknm, or give us a call, and we'll take your question live on the air this morning. The number is 5 Five zero five two seven seven five eight six six. That is two seven seven K U N M in the five zero five area code. Um, I would actually like to start this morning um, with Willie Simon. Uh, Willie is the transportation planner for the Mid-Region Council of Government, uh, or what's referred to as Mr. Cog, and we're going to be calling <laughs> Willie's department Mr. Cog throughout the hour. Uh, that's a governmental agency that provides planning support in central New Mexico, uh, including local governments like the city of Albuquerque. Uh, welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico, Willie. Thanks for having me, Nash. So you were on the team, along with members of the Federal Highway Administration and others, who conducted a road safety audit, what's called a road safety audit on lead and coal in Albuquerque. And that's from Washington Street to Broadway Boulevard. And this was conducted in June. Can you start just what is a road safety audit or what is often referred to as an RSA? And how did it come about on this particular stretch of road? Okay, absolutely, Nash. Well, uh, a road safety audit is just really a study, an engineering study uh, on a facility or a roadway that's thought to be unsafe. So either through the crash data or, you know, resident complaints, it's identified as an unsafe corridor. Uh, and then a team of experts, um, you know, from different organizations will come together and conduct the road safety audit. And importantly, actually, in this case, it did not include the city of Albuquerque. So since okay. the city of Albuquerque is the owner of the facility, they were actually not present as we did the safety study. Because that could be kind of a conflict of interest? Or? Yeah, that's that's the thinking that okay. we we can give suggestions that, you know, that just aren't binded by, you know, any 
agenda or any any kind of idea of the roadways functions in the eyes of the city of Albuquerque. Got you, got you. And the report came out just yesterday, the, the final report. Auditors gave F grades for risk of severe and frequent crashes due to uh, several factors, a number of factors. What were the highest safety risks identified on the lead and coal corridor in the, in the safety audit? Okay, well, the highest risks pretty much all have to do with speed, that okay. the, the traffic is oftentimes traveling at an unsafe speed. Uh, when we were out there, we were with uh, Officer Wesley Jackson, so we did have an APD representative, and we were taking speeds. And even with all of us out there, we did clock cars going over 50 miles per hour, um, which is really problematic given the context of the roadways, that it is more of a residential roadway. Um, because if you look at the crash data, lead and coal is kind of average when it comes to a dangerous corridor in the region. It, it doesn't you know, compare to Central Avenue or Montgomery or San mm -hmm. Mateo or Coors. But the difference, of course, is that the residents will tell you is that it's a residential corridor. And so it's really uh, not appropriate that cars are traveling at that speed. And when a crash does occur, there's a risk that the car can leave the roadway and hit a hit a home. Right. I mean, for folks who are unfamiliar, haven't been to Albuquerque, don't know Letting Coal, the houses are quite a bit closer to the road. Um, and so if a, if a car gets in a crash and gets onto the sidewalk, it does risk going onto somebody's property, crashing into people's homes, which has happened, crashing into through people's walls. I mean, I know that as I drive down letting coals, sometimes you even see kind of makeshift barricades. People have boulders, large boulders, or even railroad ties up in the corner of their lot, trying to protect their property, uh, especially if they're kind of that opposite corner from the mm -hmm. one-way traffic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we noted that in the in the study that there is this risk of roadway departure and actually in the picture we use we, we picture one of those bollards that are meant to to protect the homes in certain locations um so yeah we did we did have a lot of suggestions when it comes to speed uh one of them was just um better enforcement of of speed is what the federal team the, their first suggestion was and uh that one of the suggestions was that they should have automated speed enforcement, which the city has actually already implemented. At the time of the study, there ha there was no automated speed enforcement on lead coal, but now there is. So if you're traveling too fast, a camera will take a picture of a license plate and send a, a ticket there. Um, and the idea is that, you know, hopefully people will slow down once they know automated speed enforcement is in the area. Um, another suggestion is that... We suggest, and the federal team uh, suggested that, you know, the city needs to look at um, a two-way conversion or reducing the number of lanes to one lane. So one lane heading westbound on lead, one lane heading eastbound on coal. And the thinking is that with fewer lanes, th this will reduce the speed um, and the dangerous driving behavior, you know, the shifting lanes and trying to get around cars. Sure, so. Yeah, that's that's interesting. We actually did have um, a caller who wasn't able to stay on the line, Stephen, mm -hmm. and he wanted to know why we can't make a street a bike corridor. Uh, mountain is supposed to be one, he says, but it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Why not make either lead or coal two ways and then take the other street and make it two ways for bikes only. And so that that's a bit of a, a different recommendation from Steven, our mm -hmm. caller here. Is that anything within the realm of what you all looked at? 
well, I don't want to, I don't want to pass that one off to the city, but that they would have to respond to that. But I will say that there's a lot of driveways, as you know, there's a lot of driveways that、mm. access lead and coal. So I think vehicles would still need to have access to the roadway for those. For those property owners who have driveways that directly access the corridors, I got you. I got you. And so you mentioned a few recommendations. There were a few other elements that were noted as F grades,、uh, mm-hmm. particularly risky. Can we just kind of outline what、yeah. are the what are the highest risk issues on lead and coal that you all found? Okay. Well, we started off with that speed, and the speed kind of takes us through the first. Two, I believe, because we have speed regarding to you know property is just well. The first one is just speed in general. The speed needs to come down. The second one is that property、uh, is you know threatened、um, by the high speed crashes, and then the third one is that non motorists are threatened. So you know higher speeds. Threaten people walking and people biking. In the event of a crash, it's going to be a much worse injury or death、uh, at high speed, of course. So the idea is we need to bring speeds down to to lessen the amount of injuries and fatalities、uh, for. For not people not in cars, especially, and we suggest in that one that the city consider、uh, raised crosswalks at certain locations or speed tables, you know, or you know, speed bumps as people call them most frequently. But you know,、uh, at pedestrian crossing points, maybe a speed table where you know it will come up and the pedestrian will just have a nice flat crossing from curb to curb,、uh, and we think that could bring the the speed down. That that might increase noise. That that's noted in the、mm. in the report that speed humps and speed tables can sometimes. You know, increase the noise of traffic. And what about emergency vehicles? I know that one of the issues with lead and coal is while it is in a residential area and you do have the extra risk to pedestrians, it's also a major thoroughfare, and maybe、mm-hmm. even more so since、yeah. the Albuquerque Rapid Transit project went in on Central, which has.、Um, Reduced central, which、mm-hmm. is that parallel、uh, arterial, into one lane through、yep. Knob Hill through this study area.、Mm-hmm. So, can the the say an ambulance still get through on letting coal, or really are they not even supposed to be using that no、uh, they're, corridor? They're, they're you know we want them to be able to use that corridor. And one of the suggestions、um, when I when we say so, you know look at the speed table or speed cushions was how we.、Um, Put it as well, and speed cushions actually. You can design them in a way where they're they're not as wide as the wheelbase of an emergency vehicle. So an emergency vehicle, you know, they have such wide wheelbases that they can kind of straddle the the speed、um, hump or the you know the speed cushion, and then regular cars would have to go over it with at least one wheel. But I just want to say Central Avenue. Uh, I, as I understand it, you know the the emergency vehicles can use the ART lane, and that they're they're、mm. finding it easy to use that corridor、uh, for emergency response. Gotcha. Good to know. Good to know. We do have a call this morning that I'd like to take from Sloan in Albuquerque. Good morning, Sloan. What would you like to share on the topic? Good morning. I、uh, I live right at Cole and Carlisle.、Uh, I'm on one of the side streets right next to that major intersection. But、mm-hmm. I can speak firsthand that. I witness. I hear. I've been a first responder to multiple car accidents. Just driving down coal and lead throughout the day, you can see broken fences, knocked down trees.、Um, I'm right at the precipice of the hill, and、mm-hmm. all night long, you can hear loud engines just screaming down the top of the hill. I know that they put in speed cameras down around Cornell, but. 
from my experience, I've witnessed most of the traffic accidents near the top of the hill. Uh, it's it's a problem. Uh, one of my neighbors is rebuilding their fence literally as we speak mm. from a car accident a month ago. So the, it is a major problem. I've been in contact with the commander of the Southeast Division of APD. His name's Luke uh, Langenot. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his last sure. name. But they are just uh, they're so overwhelmed that they don't have the officers to cover speeding. I mean, right now, Albuquerque is so over overtapped on police officers, they're not going to respond unless it's a gunshot or a knife wound. So speeders is kind of low on their priority. And that's coming and from the commander of Southeast. You did mention the speed cameras, and I, folks may be familiar that they put in kind of speed enforcement cameras on Lead and Coal, which were then um, vandalized in some way. They were kind of hung too low. Uh, those have been reinstalled at a higher point, um, as far as I understand. Um, Sloan, can I ask you, though, what, do, I mean, this persistent issue in your neighborhood, hearing crashes through the night, expecting crashes in into your neighbor's home and in your home, um, seeing those uh, close calls, what does that do for how you're able to access your neighborhood for the kind of uh, emotional experience of being in a neighborhood that sees these persistently high crashes? I don't cross either one of the one ways without triple, double, quadruple checking Mm -hmm. everything. I mean, I I was just coming home now and there's, People walking about, there's lots of people walking their dogs, lots of bicycles. I mean, you have to have your head on a swivel and you have to be aware. And all too often, people are just in a rush and they just blast down the hill. Yeah. Well, Sloan, I really appreciate you calling and sharing your personal experience with this issue. Um, uh, have a good day and thank you for, for sharing your experience. Willie, do you have anything to add to what Sloan has just shared? Um, not really, just that I think Sloan made some some really good observations and a lot of the same observations we made as we were spending the two days walking around on, on lead and coal. Um, yeah, lots of property damage or signs of it at least and and yeah, just some, some speeding. Um, yeah, and that's it's definitely an issue and that's what we're getting at with this report that, you know, we need to look at some sort of countermeasures that could slow these people down. Um, and obviously enforcement's just one of them. And, uh, you know, with the new automated speed enforcement, but you know, there's other ideas we have like those speed cushions, like the two way conversion, if possible, or reducing each corridor to one lane. We think that would really slow traffic down, but that would also reduce the capacity of the corridor to, you know, to move traffic, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that's something the city's going to really have to grapple with, look at the volumes along there. And, and as you said, they reduce the capacity of Central Avenue. So they're really going to have to think about that one. And I believe maybe reducing the speed limit was one more. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. So reducing the speed limit, kind of an obvious one. Um, obviously, just changing the sign doesn't automatically make people slow down but in this case on lead and coal since the signal progression is set to 30 miles per hour we suggest reducing the speed limit to 25 miles per hour and um also slowing down that signal progression so that the green the green bands you know 
will, you know, lights will turn green for you if you're traveling at 25 miles per hour. And we are going to be discussing more later in the show, the idea of design, right? And a road's design leading to how fast a driver feels like they can go. So, you know, what the impact of changing the sign, like you're saying, is versus uh, changing the actual design and structure of the road. This morning, we are talking about pedestrian safety in New Mexico. If you have thoughts on the safety risk on lead and coal in Albuquerque or anything else in the city or state, uh, join the conversation by calling 505-277-5866. That's 277-KUNM. You can also tweet us with let's t- hashtag Let's Talk NM. Uh, this is Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. I'm Nash Jones. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Support for KUNM comes from Mitucci's Restaurants, creating artisan Italian food and handcrafted cocktails since 2013, with locations in Albuquerque, Rio Rancho, and the new Mitucci's Bar Roma in Knob Hill, and online at Mitucci's.com. Support for KUNM comes from Mitucci's Restaurants, creating artisan Italian food and handcrafted cocktails since 2013, with locations in Albuquerque, Rio Rancho, and the new Mitucci's Bar Roma in Knob Hill, and online at Mitucci's.com. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Latino is taking its first steps to becoming a reality. But after decades of exclusion, will this one institution actually be able to represent the entire Latino community? That's next time on Latino USA. That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Nash Jones, and our focus today is the disproportionate dangers to pedestrians in New Mexico and the city of Albuquerque. If you do or do not feel safe walking in your neighborhood or commuting by bike, call in with your thoughts or questions at 505-277-5866 this hour. That's 277-KUNM. We're also on Twitter with hashtag Let's Talk NM. We are joined by Willie Simon with Mid-Region Council of Governments so far this morning, which just released a report yesterday on a safety study conducted on the lead and coal corridor in Albuquerque. Uh, our phone lines are blowing up. I'd like to go to Joseph in Albuquerque. Um, I believe Joseph is the lead of the lead and coal safety brigade. Good morning, Joseph. Yeah, good morning. Uh, what would you like to speak to you on this issue? Yeah, thank you for the program. It's uh, really important to all of us that live right in KUNM's backyard. So uh, from the point of view of the Lead Coal Safety Brigade, which is an ad hoc group of residents who live along lead and coal uh, between Washington and Yale, um, what's uh, important to us about the RSA is what is what is not in it. Um, And, you know, one important point is uh, that the corridor is not uniform. So to do an evaluation uh, that speaks about lead and coal from Washington to Broadway as if the corridor was um, uniform all along that stretch is um, uh, uh, problematic and makes for an inadequate evaluation of the problem. Uh, It it is uh, well understood, and the call from the resident at Carlisle makes this uh, point, that it is the section between Washington and Carlisle uh, that is particularly problematic because of the nature of the roadway. It's very narrow, 60 foot of right of way, homes 50 uh, feet from um, uh, the asphalt, uh, multiple relatively high volume, signalized uh, north-south streets, uh, so problematic intersections at Carlisle, Girard, Yale. um, And, you know, those um, location-specific 
uh, conditions are not addressed in the RSA and the fact that uh, this whole section is inherently inappropriate for high volume, high speed traffic is also not addressed. Uh, that that allows for the uh, perpetuation of this convenient myth uh, that the problem on lead and coal is just the speeders, when it's the fact the fact that narrow residential side streets are being cast as principal arterials. That's that's the problem. Thank you, Joseph, for calling in with your concerns about the RSA and what it does and does not include. Uh, Willie, do you have thoughts on what Joseph is sharing in terms of the study? Yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, Joseph for his comments. Um, I think that he's right that their their lead and coal is not the same the whole way through the corridor. Uh, the team, you know, the federal team was only here for two days, so we were tasked with uh, you know creating the findings for the entire corridor in two days. So we did treat it as one corridor, and we think it is mostly similar. You know, two lanes, um, in, you know, going in each direction on each corridor. I would like to say that, um, you know, on on that eastern stretch where the road is really narrow, um, there's actually fewer crashes than there are as you approach Broadway. If you, you know, we, we include the map of crash density throughout the study area, and the crashes are actually worse on the western edge of, mm. the, of the study area. So most of the, um, you know, severe injury crashes or the highest density of them are over at Broadway uh, in Leaden Coal, and especially that stretch in between Broadway and I-25. And it's true that the roadway is really constrained on the eastern edges, so in, in the cases when a car leaves, um, leaves the roadway, it is a really dangerous situation and it can hit a property as we were talking about earlier so i think the residents are rightfully you know upset about that um but we we also kind of think that the constrained roadway um you know is better than a wide open roadway when when you speak with the smart growth america uh folks and dan majewski i think they may say the same that when it comes to street design you want to constrain the roadway and you want you want to make it uncomfortable to speed right and we are going to get into more of that aspect of this issue uh later on in the show i do want to take another call um reese from albuquerque um reese good morning thanks for calling in to let's talk new mexico what would you like to share this morning hey uh how are you going how you doing thanks for taking my call of course what would you like to share oh i just i've been a bicyclist in albuquerque for for years and years and um you know so many roadways don't have any sort of bike lane and obviously aren't safe to ride on but then they put bike lanes on roads like lead and coal which you know it kind of implies that they're supposed to be safe to ride on but they still they still aren't um I'm wondering why there hasn't ever been a physical barrier between the drive lane and the bike lane, and if that's something that could be implemented. That's a good question. Willie, do you know why that might be? Um, well, there actually... Thank you for reminding me because in the report we do suggest a vertical separation between bikes and cars. Um, and obviously in some in some parts of the city the city has installed flex posts or kind of those bollards that can are flexible and can be hit by cars and kind pop- of those like yellow poles yes. that flex exactly okay. you see them on dr martin luther king for example sure. between downtown and unm so that that's one idea the city has di- a difficult time maintaining those because cars often hit them and then they need to be replaced but I know that's not, you know, full, fully separated bike lane, fully protected, but that's one idea, just some sort of f- physical separation, vertical separation from traffic. Um, Willie, um, thank you so much. I do want to get 
our next guest into the conversation. So yesterday, your team submitted the final report to the city of Albuquerque, which is the owner of this roadway. Uh, we are joined this morning by um, Paula Dodge Kwan. Uh, Paula is the city's engineering division manager. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. So as Willie's team at Mr. Cog has now sent this lead coal road safety audit report that we have been talking about so far this hour over to you all at the city, what are next steps to do anything with it? Um, so the next steps will be to review the proposal or to review the RSA and see what things that are in there that are proposed um, we can implement. And, you know, we also had... Um, thought about doing rest on red on lead coal before. And I think that was actually part of this RSA. Um, so I know we've already looked into that technology, which um, the way that works is if you're speeding on lead and coal, you're going to catch every red light. It's a little different than changing the signal timing. So I know that we are looking at a bunch of these um, recommendations um, and then we'll have to evaluate and see which of them we can actually implement um, because the RSA goes out for two quick days and takes a look. Um, to go actually out and implement something, you have to go into design and and check things more closely. So, um, you know, I know that the city is committed to um, Vision Zero and making streets safer for everyone. And so I'm sure we will go in and take a really good look at this RSA and see which things we can actually implement. Okay. And I know that, you know, there isn't actually a requirement that the city do anything in regards to the road safety audit, uh, but the, the city did request the safety audit. So that may signal uh, some commitment to uh, making some of these things happen. Paula, when it comes to making that assessment, obviously resources are limited in the city of Albuquerque, but is there funding available uh, to make the improvements that the lead and coal safety audit report outlines? Or if there's not, are there avenues that you're going to look at to be able to fund them? The recommendations do range quite a bit from some fairly low-cost, short-term fixes to uh, some much more resource and time-intensive ones. So um, we do have $300,000 in state capital outlay money for the lead coal corridor specifically. Um, and so I'm not sure how far that will, will take us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, inflation rates in construction have been astronomical in the last year, but there is dedicated funding um, through a grant for lead and coal. Uh, currently, we also have um, the opportunity to get more capital outlay grants um, and to maybe utilize some of the Vision Zero money. It'll really just depend on you know what what we do with those recommendations and if, you know, what we think we can do to get the most high impact, low cost solutions. Um, because as I said before, you know, uh, resources really are limited and there are lots of areas in the city that need addressing. Sure. I want to take a call from Irene in Albuquerque this morning. Good morning, Irene. Thanks for calling into Let's Talk New Mexico. What would you like to share around pedestrian safety? One thing, I'm legally blind, and I have found that the drivers just act like I don't exist when I'm crossing the street in the the crosswalk. Uh, They make left turns in front of you. Uh, They don't recognize 
people with disabilities or the white cane. Matter of fact, when I was doing work at the state fair, most people didn't even know what the white cane law was. And they also, this past March, we were at uh, Loveless Hospital, mm-hmm. and the... Um, a, a driver was so busy trying to make a right turn on red, he stopped just a couple inches from wh- hitting my wheelchair. Was and he said he didn't see us. It was a dog guide, me in my wheelchair, and a dog guide trainer from school. Um, it it and they act like we are in their way to cross the street. It, it it's no respect for um, pedestrians. Uh, with disabilities, and also there needs to be something done in motor vehicles that people need to t- have um, defensive driving training, and they need to have something on the uh, respect for pedestrians crossing at the uh, crosswalk because the cars are stopping in the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. So you can't get across. That's how I was hit this past August. Oh, Irene, I'm so sorry about these experiences. It sounds terrifying. And I really appreciate you calling in to share these experiences with us and and add it to the conversation. You know, a lot of what you're talking about sounds like a cultural shift that needs to happen. Um, You know, not only in training, but also, you know, you're talking about respect. You're talking about keeping your eyes out for pedestrians and being aware that there are going to be pedestrians uh, sharing the road with you when you're in a car. Paula, I wonder if there's anything that the city is looking at in terms of a cultural shift, a paradigm shift, a, a different approach to uh, building roads, to training people, to thinking about how this city functions with um, road users of different types. Um, yes. And I think that it's been kind of ongoing for the last several years. Um, the city has, um, city council has passed the complete streets ordinance and they recently redid a, um, a revamp on that. And um, we've also started the Vision Zero initiative. And both of those are relatively large initiatives that come with a huge paradigm shift in um, how we design roads and what we take into account as far as what those roads look like. We're trying to make roadways safer for all users. So it's, you know, not just people driving and not just pedestrians, but bicyclists and transit users as well. So complete streets ordinance kind of tackles those pieces. And then um, the vision zero has the complete streets component, but it's also a multifaceted approach. So it, you know, we work with um, other stakeholders Mm -hmm. uh, with other governmental agencies um, with APD for enforcement, increased enforcement. So all of those things have been a fairly significant paradigm shift in the way that we're designing roads. Um, so can and you give like an is, example of, of what, what kind of impact that paradigm shift has? Like, what does that actually look like on the ground? So, um, we are look every time that street maintenance goes in and rehabs the roadway for asphalt conditions, for example, um, we will go in with the complete streets committee and which is a, a committee made up of governmental officials as far as well as people from GAPSI and other community stakeholders 
And we will look to restripe those roads in ways that, you know, close bicycle gaps, that have um, narrowed driving lanes. Um, we've made adjustments to parking, whether we have parking on both sides of the street or only on one side of the street, trying to make things a little bit slower. Um, speed is a huge problem in Albuquerque. Um, and so trying to slow things down so that everybody has a better chance of reacting and sharing a space. It's really difficult to share a space with, with a car that's going, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour. It's much more comfortable at 20 miles an hour. No doubt. So no doubt. Thank you. Every time that we're doing a project, we are looking to incorporate those elements. So okay. right now, sometimes it feels spotty because you'll have, you know, bike lanes that go in or, um, or new infrastructure that's going in. And sometimes it'll feel a little spotty until we get to all of those places. You know, it's definitely not something we can do all at once all over the city. Okay, so chipping away um, across a pretty large metro area. I do want to take another call. Doug from Albuquerque has called in. Um, Good morning, Doug. What would you like to share this morning on Let's Talk New Mexico? Doug? Hi, good morning. You're on the air. What would you like to share? So I was... One of the things that, you know, some of us lived here for a long time, I've been in many parts of the city, and I think about it a lot when I'm walking around, besides, you know, people talk about the culture of walking versus driving, but the sidewalks in Albuquerque are really inconsistent, and there are many parts of town where they're basically unusable, and I think that is a huge issue. Like, for instance, just one example is like Indian school between Carlisle and Girard, but all over town, you know, I, I go places and I see sidewalks that are just a few feet wide and they have utility poles just plopped in the middle of it and you know it's mm. it's literally impossible for someone on a wheelchair or a stroller to actually use the sidewalk you have to get into the shoulder um and i see it all over the place and and you know something that really troubles me you know even when i'm driving i think about it because you know I, no one it, just, it can't be done you know and so i think that's a huge issue that and, and things like some of the Highway entrances and exits to our major streets where, you know, there are like Louisiana or Carlisle, where it's sort of set up so that cars can easily get on with like maybe a yield situation to the entrance ramp. Um, and sure, there's a crosswalk, but like psychologically, the way it's set up is, is basically, you know, cars go. And if you're a pedestrian, you're really just risking a lot by t- trying to cross the street. Uh, because of the the speed of the cars that are coming off of Carlisle or San Mateo or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm just wondering if the city is looking at ways to change that and make sidewalks more usable and make the, like, crossings at these major intersections more, like, uh, pedestrian forward. Right. Thanks for your question, Doug. So I'll throw that to you, Paula. Paula is a manager at the um, engineering division at the city. Paula, are there initiatives going on with creating more accessible sidewalks? Uh, Doug mentioned poles in the middle of the street. I have definitely seen that myself walking around Albuquerque where I'm a walker and I can walk around it. But if somebody was needing wheels, they probably wouldn't be able to navigate around that sidewalk. Um, Is that something that you all are looking at? Um, yes, the city has had a sidewalk infill program for a number of years, and that is something that we definitely look at. Um, the power poles in the in the roadways are real or in the sidewalks are really challenging. Um, you know, Albuquerque is a fairly old city, and so we don't have a lot of right of way. So um, 
we have when we've gone in and rehabbed places if we can we will move the curb towards the street to give like a like a little bump out for the for the sidewalk but it is very very challenging and you know undergrounding all of those utilities is incredibly expensive because it's not just pnm there's you know multiple utilities hung on those poles so it is very very challenging to um to remove the overhead infrastructure um we do recognize that it's a problem and you know we are continually working to minimize and mitigate those issues as they arise um as far as making some of the larger intersections in town more if I, pedestrian, if, if I friendly, can just cut in, actually about the poles, I don't, I don't know uh, everything about zoning by any means, but is it an ADA accessibility issue that those poles are in the middle of the sidewalk like that? Like, is that actually okay? Is that is that allowed in terms of um, the city being able to be accessible to folks who use wheelchairs? So, is it ADA accessible? No, it's not. Is it allowed? The issue is that most of those poles were there prior to ADA being in, in enacted. Mm-hmm. So you have this chicken and egg, you know, do we want the poles there? Absolutely not. Do we have a good way of moving them? No. Is gotcha. there any method that we have to require that PNM and all of its other, you know, all of the other people that are on that pole move just because we ask them to not necessarily i see those are things where the city would have to pay to have all of that infrastructure um buried or relocated and you know that gets into a situation where you have very limited resources and that's incredibly expensive so okay All right. Thank you so much, Paula. We do have to go to our next break. This morning, we are talking about New Mexico's problem with pedestrian fatalities. Uh, We were recently ranked the worst in the nation, and we are digging into the role of road design and some of the concerns from our many callers this morning. If you would like to contribute to the conversation, the number to call is 505-277-5866. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Nash Jones. We'll be right back. Next time on the Children's Hour, we're cooking with kids with Sarah Robbins from Kids Cook. We're going to make a kale salad together. We'll learn about how to blend flavors to bring the most out of our food. And we have a book series review from Xander on our kids crew. Join us for... Children's Hour. Kids Radio. I love the Children's Hour. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on KUNM and KUNM.org. KUNM wants to help our listeners in Santa Fe with the removal of old vehicles now that the junk vehicle ordinance is in effect. We just learned that any junk vehicles that don't comply with the new ordinance could be subject to fines, and we want to help. If you have a junker that needs to be removed from your property, just give us a call. We'll come pick it up for free and turn that old car into support for KUNM. Call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico here on KUNM. We are talking about pedestrian safety in the state of New Mexico. And as we dig into issues around road design that has led Albuquerque pedestrians to be at higher risk than elsewhere in the country, I want to introduce Steve Davis, the Assistant Vice President for Transportation Strategy at the nonprofit Smart Growth America. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for being here. 
Good morning, Nash. Thanks for having me. Of course. So your organization comes out with a periodic report called Dangerous by Design. We've referenced it a few times this morning. It is the study that this year ranked Albuquerque as the second most deadly metro area and New Mexico as the most deadly state in the nation for pedestrians. You know, in 2015, both Delaware and Florida were higher than New Mexico. But something I found interesting reading the report is that New Mexico hasn't surpassed them because states are getting safer. Uh, They've also seen more pedestrian deaths. But New Mexico has just gotten even worse even faster. So why has New Mexico worsened at a quicker rate? That's a great question. And I think it may be something to answer more specifically from, uh, you know, advocates like Dan, who will be on later, and and some people from the city. But but what we know is that when problems exist on very, very uh, high-speed, dangerous corridors, um, like the east half of Central, the far west half of Central, Gibson Boulevard, um, you know, there's a number of extremely dangerous streets in the Albuquerque metro area. Um, And the deaths are only increasing on these. Um, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, there could be a number of reasons that go into to why it's getting worse. But, you know, one thing, two, two quick points to make is that, yes, as you said, almost every state um, is getting worse, especially states that are sort of in the top half of our rankings of the most dangerous states. None of those states are getting better. All of those states are experiencing an increase in death. Um, if you look at the top 20 most dangerous metro areas, of which Albuquerque is is number two uh, in this report, every single one of those metro areas um, got more deadly over the last decade. Not a single one of them are getting better. Um, and, and secondly, looking at the pandemic, this is the first time we've done the report and had a full year of data um, from the pandemic year of, of 2020. It's that, uh, you know, we noticed during the pandemic that, um, as we all knew, especially in March, April, May, as uh, we sort of went through the, the peak of the shutdown, roads emptied out. Um, and uh, traffic went, you know, disappeared overnight. You could go and stand in the middle of the street sometimes, sure. uh, take a picture. Um, you know, traffic disappeared overnight, and yet uh, fatalities in 2020 were at their highest level in uh, more than 20 years. Um, you know, backing up just a little bit, looking nationally, since 2009, uh, basically over the last decade, traffic fatalities overall have been going down. You know, we've actually been doing better as a country, traffic fatalities overall. But those reductions have come for people inside of vehicles, as we've added airbags in the front and in the sides and in the backs. And we've done everything possible to make travel inside a car as safe as possible. Uh, You know, fatalities have gone down. But since 2009, fatalities for people walking, biking, rolling, any of those things are up 62 percent. I mean, they are skyrocketing at the same period. And during the pandemic, you know, we saw streets empty out and yet fatalities go up. Uh, The United States was one of only only two, I think, developed countries uh, where fatalities actually went up during the pandemic. So what is going on there? What, I mean, why would you have fewer, less congestion and more pedestrian deaths? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, you know, there's certainly uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of changes to behavior during that year. But, you know, if you look at just the simple fact that in a lot of metro areas, uh, congestion evaporated on what are the most dangerous corridors, all of a sudden, you know, congestion, which is the one thing sort of keeping speeds in check, at least for a few hours a day, um, all of a sudden that was gone, you know, for the whole day. Um, you know, most of these fatalities, you know, they occur at night, they occur, you know, uh, off peak hours. 
sometimes, but all of a sudden those sorts of conditions that exist at night and off peak hours when you can go to a road like Gibson, you know, or whatever it is and, you know, drive 60 miles an hour if you want to, you know, between traffic lights, um, you're going to get stopped eventually. But, you know, these are roads that are designed for speed. And all of a sudden, everyone could drive maximum speeds. Uh, so we, right. you know, we sort of consider it deeply ironic that, you know, we will spend millions to eliminate congestion, but congestion was potentially one of the things, uh, you know, keeping these fatalities in check to some degree, all of a sudden congestion was gone during the pandemic and uh, fatalities hit historic highs. Well, it goes back to what is, who is being prioritized, right? When you spend millions to reduce congestion, you are spending millions on improving the experience of vehicle users on a roadway um, rather than the pedestrians. I do want to bring in um, Dan Majewski. Um, this study is called dangerous by design, and I want to get a little bit more into that. Um, Dan is an urban design consultant who's been engaged for years in pedestrian safety and advocacy uh, initiatives in New Mexico. Good morning, Dan. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, and thanks for covering this important story. So when looking at the Dangerous by Design report um, that Steve contributed to, um, they do have kind of metro maps and you can bring up, and, and those of you listening, you can bring up the Albuquerque metro map on KUNM.org. We've got a link there. And if you zoom in where the pedestrian fatalities are really just a small handful of corridors, uh, specifically uh, really problematic areas on East Central through the International District, east of Louisiana. We also have issues uh, west of Coors on Central, and then Coors at the freeway. Those are the ones that really stand out as these very dense areas where we're seeing a lot of pedestrian fatalities. Um, what is it about these stretches of road in terms of the built environment that make them so dangerous? Well, I, I think the fundamental point that the report makes, and I think the most important point, is that it's, uh, you, you can't design a road for speed and safety. Uh, they just can't coexist. And what we've collectively decided, not just here in Albuquerque, but nationwide uh, and even globally, is speed is more important than safety. And it's um, it, it would require a real shift in how we design all of our roads, um, especially in these areas where you have a lot of conflicts between people who, you know, East Central is a great example. It's a very high-frequency transit corridor. It's home to a lot of people who are underserved and uh, perhaps don't own a vehicle, can't afford a vehicle. So a lot of people who are walking, biking uh, by choice, they have no other, you know, they have no other means of transporting themselves. Um, and they're forced to cross these very high speed, dangerous corridors. Uh, large spaces between uh, signalized crossings is another uh, factor that you find on a lot of these uh, high injury and high fatality corridors. But, but fundamentally, it's, it's, it's a society-wide uh, problem is that we, we've just decided to prioritize speed over safety. Um, and, and it would be a trade-off to design roads differently. Uh, it would lead to uh, longer travel times for people in vehicles. Um, it would be, you know, it could be politically very unpopular. Um, so there's, we just have to be aware of what those trade-offs are. 
Thank you. And you mentioned uh, East Central and the demographics of the community in the International District, um, higher uh, communities of color in that neighborhood, a higher likelihood not to own a car, some of the lowest incomes in our community. Um, Steve, I want to go back to you. Your study found that um, that is not shocking in terms of the fact that East Central has uh, those demographics and those high rates of pedestrian fatalities. What's going on? in terms of the disparities, um, kind of the social determinants of health, um, socially, economically, when it comes to risk of pedestrians being hit by cars, um, and why are we seeing that inequity, kind of structural inequity, both nationwide, but obviously here in Albuquerque. Steve? for a long time. And the most important thing to understand is that this this epidemic of death, this crisis of death, is not being felt equally. Um, This is not something that everyone has the same exposure to. Um, Like so many of the other problems and issues we face, um, it is uneven. It is unfair. Uh, People of color, uh, particularly Native Native Americans, Black Americans, Alaska Natives, are far more likely to die uh, while walking than any other race or ethnic group. Um, you know, I think more than uh, uh, three times, uh, Native Americans are more than three times uh, as likely than their white peers to be killed uh, in a crash while walking. The rate for black pedestrians is, uh, is about double. Um, and what we also know is that, um, you know, we don't know the income of people who are killed, but we do know the income of the places where people are killed, which are most likely close to, you know, close to where they live. Um, and, and you can, you know, look at a graph on our website, the risk of being killed just drops off a cliff as your incomes go up. The lower your income, the more likely you are to be killed, the more likely you are to be walking, the more likely you are to be relying on transit. Um, and, you know, what you see in the International District on East Central, I think, is a, is a great example of that. And, you know, you can look at the western end of Central, closer to the freeway by the university, you know, uh, it has a nice median there. It has the painted bus lanes. Uh, crosswalks are a little more common. Traffic lights are a little more common. You get to the east end, and that's gone. And, and I think what we've seen over, over, you know, several decades is a historic disinvestment in these sorts of places. When we needed to find a place to route the interstates through, you know, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we picked black neighborhoods, we picked neighborhoods of color, we picked low-income areas. Uh, and the same is true for as we've, you know, built these arterial highways. And when we need to make improvements, when safety improvements come over the years, uh, they have most often come to the places where people have political power, uh, where people have money, and where people have influence. Thank and you, the places that most need the help um, are the places that lack those things. And that's really where we need to be uh, focusing our efforts. And it's encouraging to hear, you know, from the city, the, the attention being paid to especially an area like the International District. Right, that they are bringing an equity lens into their prioritization of projects, um, ideally. I do, before we run out of time this this morning, want to bring Shannon Glendenning into the conversation. Uh, Shannon is uh, with the Department of Transportation's Multimodal Planning and Programs Bureau. Good morning, Shannon. 
Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So in NMDOT's most recent legislative report card, the department got a few R grades, including for pedestrian fatalities. And R grades mean that management attention and corrective action is needed. Um, In the first three quarters of this year, we have surpassed the annual goal of less than 72 pedestrian deaths. That was the goal that was set. We have had 87 so statewide so far this year. Why is New Mexico seeing disproportionately and persistently high? even rising pedestrian fatalities. When we kind of zoom out, we've been talking a lot about Albuquerque, and that's a really unique uh, place in New Mexico. But we, you know, Albuquerque is not alone in this. This is a statewide issue. Um, And how is the Department of Transportation working on curbing this safety risk? Yeah, so in 2000. 21, we adopted the statewide pedestrian safety action plan that set up a framework of actions for us to take and change the way we think about pedestrian safety. It was a good opportunity to look at things we were doing that was working well, as well as address things that need improvement. Um, recently, we launched a media campaign to try to get to that culture we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, getting people aware to look for your neighbors on the road, look for all vulnerable road users. Um, And we're also developing trainings for our project development engineers who design our roadway projects so they can think about pedestrians early on in the um, process and start thinking about all the issues and um, possible trade-offs that we need to make as we design our projects. And what's different about designing a project in rural New Mexico or in smaller towns compared to a, a giant metro area like Albuquerque? Yeah, Albuquerque, you might have like great lighting and the roadway crossings. You have signalized intersections in more rural areas. A lot of the interventions are trying to make in, uh, pedestrians more visible. So that could be lighting in sort of these urban areas or what we call urban, right, where people are, like little communities, neighborhoods um, where houses pop up. It could be wider shoulders, uh, multi-use trails separating the pedestrians or bicyclists from the roadway because uh, a lot of times in rural areas, the speed differential is huge, and that in, right. uh, impacts the survivability of a crash significantly. One caller earlier had mentioned, like, is there a way to have kind of pedestrian bridges over large roads? Is that something that you all do? Yeah, we've done bridges. We have uh, multi-use trails that include um, sort of some tunnels that go under the roadways. Um, there's a couple being designed in Santa Fe or one being designed in Santa Fe right now um, to address that. They get expensive and as well as having to meet the needs of ADA, like the maybe have the ramp go all the way across to go up and over a road is expensive. But those are things we try to consider in projects. Um, even one in Gallup we're thinking about as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shannon. And that is unfortunately all the time we have for today. Thanks to everyone who called in, which was many of you, and to each of our guests, Nadi, or rather Willie Simon of the Mid-Region Council of Governments, Paula Dodge-Quan with the City of Albuquerque, Steve Davis with Smart Growth America, consultant Dan Majewski, and Shannon Glendenning with the New Mexico Department of Transportation. Uh, thank you, as always, to our hardworking team. Our engineer is Marino Spencer. Jeanette Didios took your calls. The live tweeting was done by Kave Movahead and news director Megan Kamrick produced today's show. If you have more to say on the topic, there is always more to say on the topic. That's great. Let's keep the conversation going on Twitter with hashtag Let's Talk NM. If you called in and I wasn't able to get to your call, I'm sorry. Uh, let's continue the conversation. It's an important one and you can rely on KUNM to continue to be digging into this important topic. Uh, I'm Nash Jones. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.